In today's global economy, quality matters. Benjamin Franklin once quipped, the bitterness of poor quality remains long after the sweetness of low price is forgotten. Quality Matters is here to talk about all things quality. So whether you're looking to improve your business, getting ready for an audit, or dealing with failed inspections, tune in, check us out, then get back to doing work that matters. Hey y'all, it's Darcy <laughs> and Kyle, and we're here to talk about our Quality Matters podcast. Um, we've got another case study for you today. Kyle really likes these case studies, and I'm actually starting to kind of geek out about them. I really <laughs> like them when they throw the numbers in and tell you how much they saved or uh, maybe what they lost by not having a quality management system. Yep, it's all interesting. So this one I found today, again, it's not as recent as we would like, but it's from March of 2012, and it's a case study on Orkin. You know who Orkin is, Kyle? Yeah, they're a pest control company, right? A nationwide pest control company. So what I have learned from doing these case studies is that I guess I asked Kyle today if ISO was developed in the 90s, because there seems to be a trend we... Um, read the case study about the uh, Clark County schools and mm -hmm. that was in the 90s mm -hmm. and this one was in the 90s so what's the deal with ISO in the 90s? Uh, there was a kind of a large push in Europe in the 80s for different certification and management standards and that kind of pushed over into uh, America a little bit later and some of the real successes kind of started to hop on board um, during about the mid and late 90s. All right, so that's what happened. Orkin is a nationwide company. They've got lots of commercial accounts as well as residential. Of course, most of us only think of their residential because that's what we use them for. Well, we, not personally we, <laughs> but in general, that's what people use them for. But they had a lot of commercial accounts. And these commercial accounts, the businesses themselves were getting ISO certified. And so in the process of being ISO 9001 certified, they only wanted suppliers that were ISO 9001 certified. And at the same time, Orkin's leaders were kind of saying, well, we need something to give us better quality and consistency from start to finish, end to end, across the nation with all our branches. So they said, well, let's get our commercial branches certified. Good idea. That's how they started. Let's get our commercial branches certified. But that kind of landed on the branch managers. That's not a good idea. <laughs> to handle, and it was a lot of paperwork, but I think they ended up getting their branches certified, and um, then it became confusing because there's some branches that are commercial and residential, and some branches that are only commercial, and some branches are ISO 9001 certified, and some are not ISO 9001 certified. I could even see issues within the branches that are ISO 9001 certified, because one of the misconceptions about ISO 9001 or any other standard, API, you name it, is that it tells you what to do and it tells you how to do it. Therefore, everyone's gonna operate the same as each other. I could even see these ISO 9001 branches having vastly different rules from each other. Yeah, because it wasn't coming from the top, right? from the corporate, from the head office. It was just, well, it was. They were saying, you need to get certified. Right. And then the branches were kind of like, what do we do? Yeah. So um, in 2002, they, Orkin, lost a very large nationwide customer. That would hurt. Because of the inconsistency among branches. They were, the customer was nationwide in all 50 states, and so... I'm guessing and imagining 
that some of this customer's businesses were getting uh, serviced by a certified company and some were getting by certified or serviced by a non-certified business. Mm-hmm. So they lost this huge company. It doesn't say how much revenue they lost from it, but it was big enough you for them. Imagine. Yeah, because it was big <laughs> enough for them to say, okay, we need, we need to fix this. We need to get everybody certified. And the best way for us to do that is to develop our own quality assurance team. So instead of developing, instead of putting it on the branch managers, oh, they yeah. say, okay, let's pull this back in a little bit. Now, I'm sure you're going to show some of the numbers, but, but just imagine real quick how much wasted effort there was running this locally at every single organization, probably hundreds of branches we're talking about that, that have to do, um, you know, all of the management legwork for this. Um, not to talk about redeveloping everything and coming up with corrective actions that maybe four or five other branches had already found this problem and had solved it a different way. And you could have benefited from that shared knowledge. Yeah, reinventing the wheel. Oh my gosh, yeah. Over and over. And that's one of the things with the new edition of the standard is included this section for organizational knowledge that really confuses the mess out of a lot of people. But this is what it's talking about. Well, I feel like for me, who doesn't really know the standard, it feels very large and intimidating. And so I would guess, let's say it's me running Orkin. I would say, hey, we need to do that. Y'all go figure it out. Right. And that sounds like kind of what they did. And then they realized, oh, that's not working for us. And we just lost a lot of money by losing this customer. So let's pull this in and rethink it. So they developed their own quality assurance department. And their first step for the quality assurance department, Kyle, what would you recommend they do? Oh, I'd put someone in charge of the whole thing company-wide. Okay. Or, or multiple people. Put so let's say that's department. done. We've yeah. got the department. We've got somebody in charge. Now, what's the team's first step? They wrote a manual first. They said, okay, we need something that is clear mm-hmm. and consistent. And what do we expect all of our branches to do? Oh, yeah. So and, that was their first step. And I do uh, third-party audits, obviously. And, and I've audited a few large nationwide companies. And... Um, I actually had the privilege of doing one recently, auditing two different facilities. And I got to tell you, that second audit, almost half of the audit was a waste of time for me because it was the same audit process. It was the same management review process. It was the same process for checking for defects. It was the same process for correcting defects. I'm just sampling different data against the exact same methods. But that's good. Oh, it's uh, wonderful. That's what you want. It's absolutely wonderful. So once they created this quality manual for each branch and for every customer, so that every customer knew they were getting, then they started doing their full quality audits of every branch, which is what you talked about. Yep. You got it, you know, the chicken and the egg. And I don't, you know, I would assume in this case, since they kind of started it, and even if they hadn't started it, you could always go in and audit it mm-hmm. and say, what are we doing well, what are we not? And mm-hmm. then go write your manual from that and then go back and audit again. Yeah. It's the chicken and the egg. What exactly. do you, you know, I think either way you're going to get the job done as long as you're, you know, you've got your end goal in mind. So, of course, most companies have obstacles when they start going in. What are some of the obstacles you see with ISO 9001 certification? The biggest thing is getting people on board. Um, whether it's, it's something new for the folks, no one likes anything new. And let's face it, there's a lot of uh, bad... Um, 
bad vibes and bad uh, misinformation about ISO 9001 and quality assurance and these standards. And people tend to be very, very reluctant to, to get on board. And they're very reluctant to have someone else tell them how to run their business. Yeah, and I think, um, you know, speaking of the previous case study we talked about was Clark County Schools, and I mentioned how I used to be a teacher. And as a teacher, things come and go and come and go and come and go. And I would imagine it's the same kind of in the business mm -hmm. world and the corporate office hands down, hey, here's a new policy, we're going to do this. And then a few months or years later, hey, here's a new policy, we're going to do this. So I can imagine this is just another thing. And branch managers are probably like, oh, it's just another one of those things and put it to the back, you know. Um, but that was one of their obstacles is that the branch personnel had a lukewarm response. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine. Well, especially if it had been forced on them in such a way that they had to do it locally. Um, and that would cause, that caused me a lot of frustration, especially if I was one of the branches that was um, not on the bad end of the performance spectrum, knowing that I had put all of this energy and all of this effort and time into developing a solution, and now you're gonna tell me I have to change it because someone I've never met said so? Yeah. Yeah, so it was it was hard for them. And so, like I said, they developed their manual and then started doing their audits. So, of course, once they started doing their audits, they learned of a lot of inconsistencies mm -hmm. across the branch. But that's not surprising it's because not. they haven't had yeah. clear set policies before. Um, they found that some branches were following their own rules and making their policies. They didn't, the branches didn't like Big Brother coming in and watching what they were doing. <laughs> Um, like you said, I'm running my own business. I don't mm -hmm. need you to tell me what to do. Um, then some branches said, hey, I'm getting the job done. The customers are happy. What does it matter? Oh, I hate hearing that one. So what they did is they have Orkin Field veterans who have been with the company for a long time that were part of this quality assurance team, and they were able to start to build trust and respect among the branch managers. Now, when you say veteran, how how veteran in the company were they? Um, it says that they have seven, well, at the time of this article, which was 2001, right. um, their QA team was comprised of seven experienced quality professionals who had worked for Orkin for an average of 30 years. That's huge. That is absolutely huge. Yeah. So it's not like, hey, we hired this new quality guy and he's going to come in and tell you what to do, even though he knows nothing about your business and yeah. what you do. Yeah. Um, so it was an internal kind of thing. And all these guys that were on the quality assurance team knew the business, knew how to get and keep customers. Um, so in 2005, they were able to earn their ISO 9001 certification company-wide for their company-wide quality management system across the United States. That's amazing. Yep. And so as we already mentioned, this shifted the burden from the individual branches to the, I keep calling it the corporate QA department. I don't mm -hmm. know what else to call it, but the head office. Um, and that switching shifting the burden from the branches to a specific QA team saved the company $125,000 per year. Oh yeah, I I have no doubt. Cuz I'm just sure branch managers time. Oh yeah, absolutely. Effort. So that that's pretty cool and we talked about how they earned the trust and respect. And now here's something that I like. So now of course they're auditing their branches, the QA team audits the branches. And you were talking we were talking about this article before we started this and you were talking about why it worked for them to have their own internal QA team and why it doesn't work for some companies to have their own internal team. Yeah, so 
there, there's a three really three different types of audits that you can do. One's called the first their first party internal audit. All that means is you audit yourself, right? So it's a self audit, and usually it's a quality manager and a couple of other folks uh, that do the audit. Problem with the first party internal audit is most organizations are, are still under you know 200 employees in America. So if you're under that 200 employee mark, I can absolutely guarantee that your quality manager has other tasks than simply quality assurance and quality control on a day-to-day basis. So, so is that significant because he's not totally focused on quality assurance or is it significant because he's, I don't know, why is that significant? He's got his hands in a few places in the business and you can't audit something that you're responsible for. And let's face it, if he's a good quality manager, he probably wrote or approved half the procedures in the company. So he is automatically disqualified from conducting the majority of the audit. So it's kind of like when you write something and you're trying to edit it yourself mm-hmm. for you know college or high school or whatever, you write a paper and you just read it and you read it right, yeah. but then you give it to somebody else and they say, hey, you've got all these errors in it. No, the same thing, except here we actually have written uh, rules that, that forbid you from auditing your own work. So if, if it's something you're directly responsible for, you're not allowed to audit it. So then how come it works for Orkin to have their own quality assurance team? Well, they pulled these seven guys that are highly experienced out of the field and into the quality department. So even if one of these was set to go audit the facility that maybe he had worked at and had established a lot of procedures there, he has someone else just as skilled, just as knowledgeable and competent to perform the audit in his place. Um, so for something like this, that's an amazing, uh, amazing opportunity for him. And because their hands aren't actually in exactly. each branch. Exactly. Because it, you can't objectively audit something you work on, or most of us can't, and you're not allowed to. So what we were talking about earlier is that most businesses have a one-site location that they're trying mm-hmm. to get ISO certified, and you can't really do that yourself because you're in it and you know you're going to show favoritism sort of yeah. towards your different departments and not only that you're, you're blind to and this is what you were just talking about darcy is uh you are blind to your own problems yeah. it's been there for four years you've not caught it yet and yet you're expected to suddenly catch it in an audit that you're conducting yeah it's just not going to happen so these guys because they're not directly involved in each branch Correct. can come in objectively and Correct. say okay Here's our policies. Are you guys meeting this or not? Absolutely. So what I really liked about this is uh, one section of the article said, what's good for the goose? Mm -hmm. So you know how that finished is good for the gander. So they have a um, quality, an ISO 9001 manager Mm -hmm. that comes in twice a year and audits their quality assurance team. So it doesn't stop with a quality assurance team. They have a manager Mm -hmm. that then comes in twice a year and audits them to see how they're doing. And that's the way it should be. Yeah, I think that's pretty cool. And I mean, as a branch manager, I think that would be nice to know like that, you know, mm-hmm. they're they're not the end all be all. They're right. still somebody. It gives me more confidence in what I'm doing and who they are and what they're doing. Oh, I, I agree. If, if the person that's holding you accountable is also being held accountable to the same standard. Right. Literally. Right. <laughs> Right, exactly, literally, the ISO <laughs> the 9001 standard. standard. Yeah, they're con- they're measured against, they're audited against their own standard. So then it talks about, because you guys know I like the numbers, I want to see the facts. 
um, between 2005 and 2010. So 2005 is when company-wide they got mm -hmm. their quality management system, ISO 9001 certified, to 2010, that's five years, they were able to change their customer cancellation rate. So the rate at which customers canceled their contracts, it dropped from 2.09% to 1.84%, which is about a quarter of a percent, I guess, mm -hmm. if I'm doing the math quickly in yeah. my head. Doesn't sound like a lot. No, but that's still more than a 25% shift in cancellations. That's huge. That is, and they talked about how huge it is it meant that they were able to preserve $660,000 in customer revenue each year. Each year, did I read? Wait, at first when I thought, it, when I first read that and we talked about it, I thought it meant over the five years, but it says each year. That's amazing. I mean, so let's think about that. That was money saved. Yes, money saved is money earned, but not quite. If you start looking into like the return on investment, so let's just assume for simple no, numbers. That sake. was money preserved. I know. I'm getting okay. That. Okay. Gotcha. So let's just assume here for, for number's sake that they only maintain a 10% margin, right? So that means that this, that 600,000 that they saved each year is the equivalent to an additional 6 million in sales. Cause you yeah. would have had to make 6 million in sales to make that oh, much I see what you're saying. profit. Yeah, because they don't get to keep all of that. Right. Got it. Yeah. So this is huge. I mean, they just added a whole team to their sales force, effectively. Yeah, I, just, I, um, I like I said, I had to reread that because when we talked about <laughs> it, we, we were just discussing this article before we started this, and I thought it was $660,000 over the five years, and I thought, well, it's $100,000 and something thousand mm -hmm. a year, which is a lot, don't get right. me wrong, but for a company this big, I didn't think it was that much, but... Um, yeah, it says they were able to preserve that much in revenue each year. So that's that's that's, that's, that's huge. pretty huge. So next time you hear somebody say, Kyle, <laughs> we can't afford to get ISO certified, you need to tell them you can't afford to not. Absolutely. I it's, mean, that's almost true. a million dollars a year they were losing. Yeah. Because they weren't able to retain their customers by not keeping a set of standards. Yeah. So that's pretty big. Um, and then lastly, I want to talk about, they talked about their keys to success during this process. Um, they talked about how the, oper the quality um, auditors operated in good faith. They didn't have ulterior motives. They worked in partnership with the branch mm -hmm. managers, not in a opposition to. So we already talked about that a little bit. These are guys that had been in the field. They've worked for Orkin for 30 years. They were able to build trust, and that helped the opposition that they were getting initially from the branch managers. I I've seen uh, the opposite of that firsthand with, with one client that I work with. They insist on having uh, internal auditors, and, and they have good reason for it. Um, and so one of their internal auditors, he's what I call the gotcha guy. I mean, you can see his whole body getting excited. He's just waiting to find something yeah, wrong. Yeah, when he finds something wrong, man, he is happy about it. And I, I just can't stand to watch it. Um, it. It makes a huge difference in the organization when that guy is not present. Well, and one other thing that we, and this is probably the last thing we'll talk about, is they said that they give post-audit evaluation surveys. And one of the questions asked in that survey is, was there a solution offered to things done wrong? I love it. I just love it. Um, it's something I've always done with my internal audits. Um, it's what I hate the most about my third-party uh, registration audits that I do. 
is in those audits, I'm not allowed to give you any advice, any guidance, any help. You have to do it on your own. But for internal audits, I'd love to come in and say, look, we found these issues. Here's some potential solutions that we found. We give you some documentation and we give you some help and, and, and ways to go forward. And I've come in after the fact in audited companies who had internal auditors uh, that did not provide them that guidance. And you can see a mm -hmm. year later, they're still struggling. They don't know what to do. Yeah, so, it's, so it's, that's, it's a big deal. That's frustrating. So this is good news. If you're a large company with mm -hmm. multiple branches across the United States, you can build your own quality management team mm -hmm. to help you solve this problem and become ISO 9001 certified. If you are not that big of a company and you are one location and have several hundred employees, you can always hire a consultant like Kyle and Texas mm -hmm. Quality Assurance to come out and help you. And even if you are a large nationwide company and you want to do this, and you just don't know what to get, where to get started. Yeah, it, the standards work for any business. I mean, what we talked about last time, a, a school district, and yeah. today we're talking about a pest control company. We're not talking about your traditional you know, manufacturing facility, right? Yeah, which is, which what, is what thinks of. That's what I thought. Of. Well, that's why I understood it to be because that's what you used to work with. Yeah. But um, I guess that's why I kind of like these case studies. It's yeah. your, it's not what you traditionally think of getting ISO 9001 certified. Not at all. I love it. This is this is this is a great example. Yeah. So anybody that needs any help with this consultation or you know getting certified, we we're happy to help you at Texas Quality Assurance. Ready when you are. Are you recording right now? Maybe. No, you're not. Stop it. Is it recording for real? Yeah. <laughs>